Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. For now, we hope you enjoy this message. Thanks for tuning in today. Amen. Well, pastors greet you and and uh, talked to Pastor Mike right before service, and uh, he shared a couple things about uh, the message I'm going to share. I'm going to talk about the snare of unforgiveness this morning. So we've been talking about uh, three different snares or three traps that Satan uses to try to trip us up. That first snare was anger, and then it's pride. We talked about uh, last Wednesday night, and then this morning here we're going to talk about unforgiveness. I'll tell you, this is a very important, all three are important. But again, this is one that, that can really trip us up and, and really hold us back. That word snare, I really didn't talk about what that is. A lot of people maybe know, but a snare is, is the definition is it's simply a trap used to deceive and enslave human beings. Now, you, you think about uh, maybe a trapper that's out, right? They'll, they'll maybe use like a, you think of a bear trap or, or maybe it's a circular snare that the animal walks through and, and they're going to hide that. Right? You think about a mouse trap. What do you put on the mouse trap? It's either cheese or peanut butter. It's something to attract the mouse or, or, or the, the thing that you're trying to snare or trying to trap. There's something on there that's attractive or it's covered up. Because obviously if you could see it, you wouldn't step right in it. And that's how Satan does things. Right? He, he, he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the slanderer. He's a liar. He's the deceiver. You know, and and uh, again, we need to be wise to see what his devices are because here's how he operates. When you step into his snare, he sits there and he says, take the bait, take the bait, take the bait. Over and over and over, he repeatedly tries to wear you down. And once you take that bait and then that snare is set, you know, now you're trapped. Then he comes back around and what does he do? He hurls, hurls guilt, shame, and condemnation at you. And he, he says, I can't believe you took the bait. I can't believe you stepped into that snare. Now God is not going to forgive you. Right? And then we, we try to hide and, and, and cover things up. And it's like, no, we need to expose the things that, that we're battling and expose them to light right? so that the darkness can be cast out. And, and, and that's one way to, to ste- step out of the snares of the enemy. So I'm going to do a brief recap on the snare of anger and the snare of pride before we get into the snare of unforgiveness. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. This is one scripture that Pastor Mike used on, on the snare of anger when he, when he talked about that a couple of Wednesdays ago. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, in the Amplified, it says this. It says, be angry. It's always curious. Be angry, but sin not. So it's kind of weird, right? It's like it's telling you to go ahead and be angry, but don't sin. So what we got to look at more of this. It says, be angry. And the Amplified says, be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior, yet do not sin. So what's it saying? It's, it's saying to be angry at the things that God gets angry about. He gets angry at sin, at immorality, injustice, and ungodly behavior. And so we're to be like God. And we're to hate the things that God hates, right? And love the things that God loves because he's our heavenly father. He says, do not let your anger cause you, you shame nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. That's good marital advice right there. Never go to bed angry, right? Practice unforgiveness before going to bed. And it says, do not give the devil an opportunity. Here's what we're talking about. The snares of the enemy. Do not give the devil an opportunity or a foothold to lead you into sin. And how does that happen? By holding a grudge, nurturing anger, harboring resentment, or cultivating bitterness. Kind of sums them all up right there. Anger, pride, 
and unforgiveness. Bitterness is a form of unforgiveness. It's, it takes root inside of you. And it says, don't give Satan an opportunity. Don't, don't step in that snare, is what he's talking about here. So again, the Bible always is, is telling us ahead of time, you know, how to live and walk in victory. Amen? So that's the snare of anger, the, the snare of pride. So pride is, the definition is a self-centeredness. So we're focused on self rather than focused on other people. It's, a, it's an excessive or an unhealthy self-esteem known as conceit or arrogance. And that's how we, we think about it a lot of times, right? Somebody walks in the room and they think they're God's gift to creation. They're, they're prideful, they're, they're arrogant, they're very conceited, right? And the Bible tells us not to be like that. We talked about three things. One was God hates pride. Proverbs six seventeen. don't worry about turning there. I'll cover this as we, we get moving. It says, these six things the Lord hates. The Lord hates. It says, indeed, seven are an abomination to him. An abomination means it's a greater level of hatred. The first thing is it's, it's a proud look. That was the first thing he said. And a proud look is the, the spirit that makes one overestimate himself while underestimating others. It's basically looking down on other people, thinking that you're better than other people. That's, that's that proud or, or that haughty look. And we're not to do that. It says God hates that. The second thing it says, God resists the proud. James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. That word resist means he's opposed against you. So you imagine that. The creator of the whole entire universe, if you are in pride, he still loves you. If you're his child, right? He, he, he loves the whole world, but, but he still loves you, but he's resisting you if you find yourself in pride. If you find yourself in arrogance, he's, he's resisting you. You think about that, and that's why we need to keep pride uh, and anger out of our lives. Because he resists the proud, but again, he gives grace unto the humble. What is the humble? It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less and putting other people in front of you. That's how Jesus lived. That's how he operated. Amen? In humility. And then the third thing was, was pride was the original sin. And in Ezekiel 28 and in Isaiah 14, we talked about how pride literally got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. He was second in charge. I mean, he was the most beautiful creation ever. He was right next to God. All he was, had to do was, was praise and honor God all day long, you know, through music. And he messed it up. Pride got in his heart. And instead of praising God, he wanted praise for himself, Right? He thought, man, I'll, I'll, I'll usurp God. I, I don't need God anymore. And that's pride. That's pride talking there. And that's a snare. Amen. And we need to recognize that. So the, the snare of anger, the snare of pride. And now we're going to talk about the snare of unforgiveness. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to camp out there for a little while. Matthew chapter 18. And my goal for you today is this, is, is learning how God views unforgiveness. And what unforgiveness does to you. It affects you. It affects you physically, mentally, Spiritually, it affects you in all different areas. Give you three truths about unforgiveness, and then finally we're going to talk about how to, how to overcome forgiveness and unforgiveness and get it out of our lives. So we've got some ground to cover here this morning. Amen? The snare of unforgiveness. And this is so important because when you look at the life of Jesus, I mean, he, he lived a lifestyle of forgiveness. Even when he was on the cross, what do you say? Forgive them, Father. They know not what they're doing. They don't know that they're crucifying God, literally. Amen? And so he lived this life of forgiveness and we're to, to emulate his life. So Matthew chapter 18 and in verse 21, it says this. It says, then Peter came to him, meaning Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? 
Now, it's kind of curious why, why Peter was asking this, and, and there is a biblical reason. You know, if you go back into the Old Testament, and I'm not going to actually go into that, but, but just my, my carnal thinking. Now, the Pharisees, they, they had all these r- rules, and so the Pharisees would forgive people three times. So you kind of think, well, would Peter maybe say seven times, so it's a few more, but why would he ask this question in the first place? You know, maybe he's sitting there and he's like, you know what, James snores loud. And, and, and John, man, this guy, he just eats with his mouth open. I am so frustrated. I'm so tired of being around these guys. Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive these guys? Is it, is it seven times? And I know that's taken some liberty, but verse 22, let's see what Jesus said to him. He said, he said, I do not say unto you seven times, but up, to, up unto 70 times seven. Wasn't about the number, it was about it's an unlimited amount of times, right? And this is relational. Jesus was always talking about our relationships with one another. Not to get frustrated with your brothers and sisters and, and your husbands and your wives and your children, your coworkers, but, but to get along with one another and just walk in forgiveness. That's what he's saying here. Up to 70 times seven, unlimited times. Verse 23, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, this is an amount that was impossible to pay off in, a, in an entire lifetime. Really, really, the story is kind of a hyperbole, meaning it's a little bit exaggerated. It's a little bit like unrealistic. Like, who's going to loan somebody an amount of money, 10,000 10, talents, it's anywhere from maybe 10 million, some people say up to a billion dollars. Now, now, who's going to loan somebody that amount of money right, without expecting anything in return. So that's where he's saying, like, like, hey, this guy owed the master a price or an amount that he could not pay in this whole entire lifetime. Verse 25, it says, but as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, not only him, but with his wife and children and everything he had, and that the payment be made. So again, the master, they bring this, this servant to the master and they say, hey, this guy owes 10,000 talents, a, a, an amount that he cannot pay. And so the master says, okay, sell him into slavery, his wife into slavery, his children into slavery, and everything he has, and at least we'll get the money off of that, but it's still not going to fulfill all the debt. But, you know, that's where we're at. Verse 26, it says, the servant, therefore, fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And realistically, again, in this story, he couldn't have paid this. But he's just still begging for forgiveness. Let's see how the guy responded, the master responded. Verse 27, it says, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and he forgave him the debt. So again, the story here is, is you got Peter that's, that's probably upset, offended, or, or you know, frustrated, comes to Jesus and said, hey, how many times do I got to forgive these guys? Is it seven times? And, and Jesus, of course, seven, 70 times seven, but then he always responds with a story. He's always teaching through stories, right? And that's what he, what, what he did here. He, he, he showed him this, mass, this guy that owned his master a de- debt that he couldn't repay in his lifetime. And so this guy that was just forgiven this huge debt Verse 28, let's see what happens as a result of that. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is about a, a hundred days wages. Okay, so this was something that could be paid off in this lifetime, right? So it's a, it's a way smaller amount. So he owed a hundred denarii. And so this, this servant, he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. 
So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. So again, the first servant had just been forgiven a debt that he couldn't possibly repay in a whole entire lifetime. And you would think as a result of that, he'd have compassion on, on somebody else. You'd think he'd have a forgiving heart, right? Because, because he's been forgiven, you'd think he'd go out and he'd forgive this other guy. But let, let's see what he does. Verse 30, it says, and he would not. But he went and threw himself, or threw the, threw the second servant into prison till he should pay the debt. I'm always astounded by that. Like, like in prison, is the guy gonna be able to work to pay off the debt? He's not. It's funny how they, they do that. Don't even give them an opportunity. So he'd be in prison for the rest of his life for a debt that he actually could pay. Follow along here because there's, there's teaching points within this. Verse 31, it says, So when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. What's this mean? People around them were watching how the first servant who had just been forgiven treated the second servant who owed him a debt. Just like when we're at our workplace and, 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 and out in society, people are watching us. How are we acting? How are we responding? Are we talking about the boss the same way that, that the people around us are talking about the boss? Amen? Verse 32, it says, then, the, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and he delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Who's speaking here? Who's telling the story? Jesus, right? Verse 35, it says, So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. A few truths about unforgiveness. The first truth is this, is God takes unforgiveness seriously. He takes it very seriously. So at the end of the story, when, when the first servant would not forgive the second servant, it says the, the master was very angry and he turned him over to the torturers. You think about unforgiveness. It's, it's truly, it's torturous. It's, it's tormenting. It's tormenting physically. It creates physical stress like, like ulcers and nervous problems. It creates heart problems, headaches, high blood pressure, skin problems. Many other problems can be traced back to a lack of, of forgiveness, to unforgiveness. Hate, bitterness, all of that stuff stays in you and it gets rooted in you and it affects your body. You know, you go to the doctor and they say, man, we, we just can't find anything wrong with you. But you've got stomach issues and, and ulcers and, and you're stressed out and it's, it's because somebody has, has made you angry and you took offense and instead of forgiving them, you've got unforgiveness in you and that's, that's grown in there. God still loves you, but again, he hates this stuff. He he's, takes unforgiveness very seriously. It also is emotionally tormenting. You know, you think about your mind, will, and your emotions, right? Outbursts of anger and, and, and mood swings, personality changes, depression, anxiety, cynicism, all these things that wreak havoc on our, on our emotions, and a lot of times it's because there's a root of bitterness and there's unforgiveness in our heart that we've got to get out. I found that, that one clinical definition of depression is, watch this, anger turned inward. You think about it. I mean, society is just, people are angry. You know, it's like inflation's up, they're, they're having a tough time making ends meet. 
you know, all this, this craziness that's going out in the world, they're looking for solutions, but it gets frustrating, and frustration leads to anger, and that anger, anger turned inward, when you don't know what to do about it, it can lead you to depression. And see, we've got, a, we've got just a finite or a limited amount of energy. And so when we're using that mental energy to be all stressed out and anxious and angry towards other people, when you come off of that, you, you find yourself depressed. With every peak, there's a valley, right? And you find yourself in that depression. I, I, I think about even the young people. They don't know how to deal with, with the anger and the things that are, they're feeling. They're all you know, emotionally wound tight because they don't have an outlet and they haven't figured it out. And that's why as parents, we need to do a good job of, of communicating with them and, and giving them the tools to, to, to get out of those situations, you know, the anger and not breed to the bitterness and the unforgiveness. Otherwise, they'll find themselves depressed because it's anger turned inward. Does that make sense? And see, human beings, we were not designed to hate and have unforgiveness. God did not create us that way. And it'll literally eat you from the inside out. So it's physically tormenting, it's, it's mentally tormenting, and it's spiritually tormenting. We looked at Ephesians 4.26 already, but, but we're going to turn back there for a moment. But, but I truly believe this, that, that when we won't forgive somebody, it literally opens us up to demonic torment. You think about that. That's a snare of Satan. When we will not forgive, Ephesians 4.26, I'll just read it in the, the New King James. It says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Here it is. Nor give place to the devil. That's what we don't want to do. We do not want to give the devil place. We don't want to step into that snare or that trap that he set for us. Amen. We know that Satan is, his name is the accuser of the brethren. He's the slanderer. He, slander makes, means to make false statements against somebody. Think about that. Make false statements against somebody. Or to accuse them. Claim somebody has done something wrong. So what happens? You get, you, you get offended. You get angry at a person. And then you open yourself up if you don't take those thoughts captive, right? And do what we, we're going to show you to do at the end. That can take root inside of you. And then he starts slandering and, and, and accusing that person. He, he starts making up things in your mind that aren't true about that person, but you believe them because you've opened yourself up to them. And, and you're meditating on what that person did to you and, and how that person made you feel. And, and you just think about it and ruminate about it, and you can't come off of it. And you're opening yourself up to that. Amen? And you think about that. This, when we're walking in unforgiveness, we're literally walking out from underneath God's covering and God's protection. Why is that? Because hate, anger, bitter, bitterness, jealousy, all of that, that's Satan ter Satan's territory. Love and forgiveness is God's territory. Amen? And you think about what, what that does to you behind the four walls, right? We're always, we're always take the, 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 our real selves and we take the most out on the people that we love the most. So you, you're out there and you get offended, you get angry at people, and then you come back behind the four walls. You're passive aggressive or, or, or you're cold to your family or you're maybe irritated and they're, they're wondering, what did I do? And they didn't do anything, but because, again, you took on this, this root of bitterness, this, this root of unforgiveness, now you're treating everybody around you based out of, this physical and emotional and spiritual torment that you're battling. Amen? It's a snare of Satan. Amen? And you've got to deal with it because it'll, it'll grow. A, a seed of unforgiveness, a seed of offense will grow into bitterness and more unforgiveness until Satan comes in and he's divisive. And he'll not only divide you between that person, 
but it'll start dividing you bet- between your spouse and between your children and, and your coworkers and, and everybody you love. He's trying to get a wedge in there, and this is one avenue that he does it is through unforgiveness. Amen? Amen. I found three sayings related to, to forgiveness. Just listen to these. The first one, it says, says uh, the poison of unforgiveness damages the vessel it is stored in worse than anything you can spit it on. It damages you worse than anything that you can spit out on anybody else. It's just saying it's harming you more than it is the person that offended you. Amen? Second thing I, I found, it said, forgiveness does not make them right. It just makes us free. That's a big one. We think a lot of times like, well, I'm not going to forgive that person because they don't deserve it. Well, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about you getting free. Amen? And because you forgave somebody, it doesn't mean that, that it's okay what they did to you. That doesn't, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't excuse them. All, all you're saying is, you know what, I want to be free. How many people want to be free here this morning? Amen. Amen. Everybody wants to be free. But it's not about that person that, that put the offense on you. It's about you being free here this morning. And the third thought was, forgiveness is one of the most self-loving things you will ever do. What's the two commandments? Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you love yourself, forgive. Amen? Because the issue is about you here this morning. This is about us walking out of the traps and the snares that Satan has set for us so that we can walk and live in victory. Amen? And, and, and in total freedom. You've heard this said before. It's Unforgiveness is like me drinking poison and thinking it's going to kill my enemy. When I drink the poison, it's, it's going to kill me. When, when I harbor unforgiveness and, and bitter and anger and, and offense, it's like we talked about, it's affecting me physically, it's affecting me emotionally, and it's affecting me spiritually. And I've opened myself up to trappings of the devil. Amen? It's serious stuff. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation. It says, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. James snores, so be it. John chews with his mouth open, so be it. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. You ever heard of the 80-20-20 rule? It's called the, the Pareto Principle. 80% of the people do 20% of the work, 20% of the pe- or 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and, and vice versa, right? Well, it's like people that you're around. You know, typically you're going to like 80% of, of the person that you're with, but 20% of them is going to drive you nuts. It's going to grate at you. But see, you get to choose which one you focus on. So in a marriage, if you focus on the 20% and you magnify and you amplify that, over time, you're going to get embittered to, towards that person, and the end result of that can be divorce, right? So it's, it's like focus on the 80%. That's what he's saying here. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way you have been forgiven. If you find fault with someone, the 20%, release the same gift of forgiveness because guess what? You and I have that same 20% that drive other people crazy. Amen? Amen. So again, what was the first one here? God takes unforgiveness seriously. The second point is that from God's perspective, unforgiveness seems petty. 
Think about that. From God's perspective, he sees unforgiveness as petty, as small. We go back to that story of the the first servant. He owed the master an amount that, again, was impossible to pay. Remember, he was going to get sold. His wife was going to get sold. His children were going to get sold. It was a huge deal. He was forgiven of a price that he could not pay, a debt that he couldn't pay. But after he was forgiven, what did he do? He, he, he went and found his fellow servant. See, the first story, it said that, that the first servant was brought to the master. He actually went, after he was forgiven, he went and found the second servant, his brother, who owed him 100 days wages, a, an amount that could have been paid, and he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe me. And when the servant begs for forgiveness, just like the first servant had done, What's he do? He throws him into prison. And Jesus is saying, you know what? This is how the world operates. And then he goes on to say, but this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Peter said, Master, how many times do we forgive? Seven times? And he said, no, Peter, you forgive unlimited times because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is how your, your heavenly father, the king of kings, this is how he operates. Amen? You have a very forgiving king. We have a very forgiving king, and we need to be thankful for that. He's willing to forgive you of absolutely everything that you've done. Unforgiveness is petty to God because he's wiped the slate clean in every one of our lives. And all we had to do was ask. It's not about a bunch of religious things that we've got to do to to earn God's forgiveness. You can't earn it. It's just receiving that free gift of salvation, repenting of your sins, turning and accepting Jesus Christ. That's it. And the slate is wiped clean. Turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 103. How many are thankful that we have a forgiving God? Hallelujah. What a great king we have. Amen? Psalm 103 verse 8. This is what it says about our God. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, Plenteous in mercy. That's how we need to be, right? Slow to anger. Not having a short fuse, but having a long fuse. Matter of fact, cut the fuse, right? And be plentiful in mercy. It says, he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins. Say, praise God. Praise God that he's not dealt with us after our sins. Nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. We did not get what we deserved. Matter of fact, we got what we didn't deserve. That's grace and mercy there. Amen? For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, here it is, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Praise God. It says in another verse, it says he's, he's thrown our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't even remember them anymore. And see, we're supposed to be like our heavenly father. That's, that's the point we're getting to here. If we've been forgiven of a, of a debt that we could not pay, how much more should we forgive our brothers and sisters and, and those in the world? Amen. Amen? Because we've been forgiven, that means we forgive. Verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows how we are, but he loves us anyway. Praise God. Again, I'm going to ask you, how many are thankful that we've got a forgiving God. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Overwhelmed by it. 
overwhelmed by it. So again, the first point is, is God takes unforgiveness seriously. The second point is that from God's perspective, unforgiveness seems petty. Do you understand that? Do you see why? Because he's, he's forgiven us of so much. He's looking at us and he's like, you're holding on to that little tiny offense? Man, I sent my son for you. I gave my very best gift for you. And you're holding on to this? That's petty compared to what I've done for you. And not only, he, he gives us the grace to be able to, to step out and, 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 and forgive. But again, we've got to make the choice, right? He's put before us life and death, blessing and cursing. And then what's he say? Choose life. We're like, duh, of course I would choose life, but yet we choose death all the time. Sin of, or the snare of anger, pride, and unforgiveness. The third point is, is unforgiveness will affect your prayer life. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Very, very well-known scriptures here. Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Turn there in your Bibles. Many of you could quote this. It says, And Jesus saith unto, uh, unto them, Have faith in God, or, or have the God kind of faith. And then he tells them, This is what that looks like. For, for truly I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. What's he saying here? He's saying, hey, you've got a vision for where you're going in your life, but there's going to be obstacles that are going to be in your way. There are going to be mountains in your way. Mountains of lack, debt, sickness, disease, depression, anger, jealousy, greed, all the things. Those are all mountains that are standing in your way of getting to where God wants you to get to. And what's he telling us to do? He says, you speak to those mountains and you, you tell them to be removed. Amen. And we, we've got that part down, but we got to continue on with the thought. Verse 25, it says, and when you stand praying, meaning when you stand declaring, when you stand speaking to the, the lack and the sickness and, and, and all of those things, he says, when you stand praying, forgive forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. What do we say a lot of times? You know what? I, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but you don't understand what they did to me. Or I've been, I've been working hard on, on trying to forgive this person for a lot of years. No, it's a commandment. He says, no, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. What's he saying here? Forgive if you have anything, anything against anybody. I just pray that the Holy Spirit's revealing things to you this morning as we're ministering that areas of unforgiveness, and we all have them. Putting this message together, I was like, man, things I've got to deal with. Just because you're up here doesn't mean you've arrived and you've got it all together, amen? amen. Unforgiveness. Verse 26, it says, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. He said, Jesus said to forgive now while you're praying because your prayer life literally depends on it. That's some strong statement here. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. He still loves you. But you've put a barrier there with that unforgiveness. You're holding on to that root of bitterness and that, that anger and, and all of that. And, and, and again, you've created a mountain then in your life. And so when you're speaking to the mountains that are in your life, your prayers are hindered. We don't want our prayers to be hindered, amen? 
And that's why we're looking at this here this morning, that the snares of the enemy so we can walk in a greater level of victory. Amen? Galatians 5, 6, it says, faith works by love. Faith will not work in an unforgiving heart. That's a powerful statement. Faith will not work in an unforgiving heart. Say this, no love, no no faith. faith. Right? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Because God is love. If we're not walking in love and in forgiveness, we're like Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren. Lies, right? All those things. But if we're walking in love, we're walking in forgiveness, we're like our Heavenly Father. And Jesus was our example. Not an easy message this morning, I know that, but you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Amen? Amen. Faith works by love. Love people and your faith will work. No faith, no love. So again, God takes unforgiveness very seriously. From God's perspective, unforgiveness is petty. And the third point was unforgiveness will affect your prayer life. It will put a hindrance in a, in a, in a barrier. Plus, if you're a parent, and you've got unforgiveness behind the four walls, I'm telling you, your ch- children are watching you. And our walk talks louder than our talk talks. So when we're at home and I've been guilty of it and we're running our mouth about people and six situations and circumstances, our children are hearing that. They're modeling that. And because you're doing that, that says to them that that's okay to do that. Amen? It's hard to be encouraging here this morning. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is stuff that's going to help you here this morning. We want to do better. I want to get better. I want to grow. I want to be all that God's called me to be. I want to be more Christ-like. And these snares, these traps of the enemy, we've got, to, we've got to shine a light on it so we know the things that are holding us back so we can get up to a higher level and, and we can evangelize this city. Amen? Amen. Because Sioux Falls shall be saved in Jesus' name. And this church will be packed to overflowing. Because Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Amen. So the steps to forgiveness... First step is we repent of unforgiveness. What does repent mean? It simply means to turn from the direction that you're going. It just, it's just, hey, I, I'm, I'm repenting. I'm releasing this person of unforgiveness. I'm not going to be mad at them. I'm not going to be bitter towards them. I'm going to release them. I, we repent of that. The second step is that we've got to realize that, and this is a hard one, God loves our offender as much as he loves us. God loves the person who offended you just as much as he loves you. And I know that this gets tough because there's people in this room that have been through things that, that I can't even imagine. And then you got a guy standing up here saying, hey, you got to forgive that person. It doesn't mean you got to, you, you know, if you've got an abuser, you don't got to go back into that abuser's life. But no, you've got to forgive them, not for that person, but again, for you. Remember, we talked about that. And we got to recognize that God loves that person. The Bible in John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world. Not America. It doesn't say God so loved Christians. It says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the world. He loves your, your offender. And again, I know that there's situations that I can't even fathom. But again, you want to be free. And it's releasing of that, 
them of that to be free. You know, you think about it, the, the New Testament was written by a man that literally killed Christians for a living, Paul. He killed Christians for a living. And while he was Saul, the church people, they, they, they feared him, right? They hated him. But God loved Saul, and he was trying to save him the whole entire time. Now, that doesn't mean you go throw yourself in front of Saul so he can, can kill you, but again, it's praying for that person. Again, we repent. We recognize that God loves that person. And regardless of what that person has done to us, God loves them. And until they take their last breath, God will move heaven and earth to try to get them into heaven to spend an eternity with you and I. Amen. We're, we're not prideful. We're not looking down on, on other people. We're humble. We're seeing things from a different perspective. Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Because the third point here is that we must make a permanent release of debt to us and, and release their judgment to, to God. Let me say it a little simpler. We, we've got to simply disqualify our, ourselves as being the judge. We're not the judge. We're not the one that gets to decide what happens to the person that has offended us. Amen? And why is that? Because people do what they do for reasons that we don't typically know. We don't know what's going on in their life and, and in their background, what happened behind the four walls, the, the, the moment that they left the house, all that stuff. I'll tell you a quick story. My mom is in a assisted living. We moved her in a week ago on Thursday. And uh, she was falling and stuff like that and just got to a point where, where she wasn't able to be independent anymore. And, and, and there's a director, um, God bless this woman, there's a director there that, that works there. And, and uh, you know, when we first went in, I, I kind of had a, a little bit of a read on her. I, you know, you pay attention when you're talking to people and whatnot. And then um, I went this past Thursday, I think it was, so she had been there a week, that's what it was. And uh, went and spent a little time with my mom in the morning. And then when I was leaving, I kind of peeked in the office and I was just saying, hey, how's it going? Like, how are you doing? And she kind of, you know, smiled a little bit. And she goes, you know, your mom's been falling a lot. And I said, yeah, I, I know she, she battles that. You know, that's obviously why, we're, why she's here. And then she came right back around and she goes, is your mom always this crabby? And I was like, well, I said, how long does it typically take for somebody to acclimate? She says, you know, around three weeks or so. I said, well, today it's been, it's been a week. And so I walk out of there and guess what? That's my mom. Who's this person to start thinking, saying this about my mom? And, you know, you start, Satan starts running his mouth, you know, and then the thoughts come and, and he starts tapping on this thing, right? Who she thinks she is. Then I call my wife, who's a little, gets a little bit more amplified. And then we kind of we stir one another up. Amen? I'm just being real. But then I got to a point where I said, you know what? She's a lady that's probably got a lot of pressure, a lot of stress in her life, you know, overseeing all these people and whatnot. And her people skills aren't maybe as developed as they should be. And, and I just got to take it as, hey, she didn't mean what, what, what she said in that way. And so I had to de-escalate and I had to bless her. God bless her. Amen? <laughs> Amen. So let's look at how we do this. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, it says this. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, and it is, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. 
For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, or because of all that, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals, lots and lights of coals, of fire on their head. Do not become, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. What's this saying? It's, it's, it's an old school saying, we kill them with kindness. I know it's not the right word, kill them. But again, we're, we're kind to that person. Even though they've been offensive to us, we're going to be kind to them. And so Friday I had to, in the afternoon, I took my mom to a birthday party at the place where she used to live. And so as I, you know, got her back dropped off, I saw the lady was in the room and I just went up and I said, hey, God bless you. Have a great day. And then ran out. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the higher road. I'm going to choose to be nice. Hallelujah. I've had a couple other instances as anger, pride, and unforgiveness. We've been teaching on this. I'm like, the test will come. And it's going to come in your lives as well. And guess what? If you don't pass the test, you get to go back and you get to take the test again. How many people are going to pass the test here? Amen? I believe in you. You're going to do it. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to trust God with, with the person that's offended us. He knows better than us on how to deal with them. Let God be God in their lives. So I'm going to be nice to this lady. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to bless her. And I believe God, my mom's going to have favor as a result of that. Rather than run in my mouth and get my wife stirred up. And there's a few other people that would probably go on my behalf as well and, and give that person a piece of their mind. I thank you for it, but we don't have to fight the Lord's battles. Amen? We don't want to rehearse the hurts that somebody else has done for us. And, and that's what we do a lot of times man, if that happens again, I'm going to say this, and I should have said that, and woulda, shoulda, coulda, and, and you're just going through all these mental gymnastics. You're, you're wasting this finite emotional energy on something that, that, that needs to just be, be pushed off to the side. You need to take that thought captive, right? Instead of stirring it around over and over in your mind because you think it's harmless. You know, it's like pornography. You think it's, it's harmless to look at pornography. Hey, it's no big deal. Nobody really knows that I'm doing it. But again, physically, your mind and your body don't know the difference between reality and, and what's happening in, in this real physical world versus in the, the not physical world. So when you're sitting here stirring around and you're, you're angry at this person and, and what you should have said to them and what you're going to say to them next time, and, and even though you may never do it, physically you go through all the same responses as you would as if you did do it in the natural. Does that make sense? And that's where you have the, the physical torment, the mental torment, and the spiritual torment. Amen? Amen. So as we're wrapping up here, again, how do we overcome it? We repent. We recognize that, that God loves this person. We allow God to, to be the one that, that takes care of our situation. And we got to realize, you know what? It's, it's not about us. That person doesn't owe us anything. Man, they need to apologize. Well, really, they don't need to do anything. We need to just walk in love. Again, we look at the life of Jesus. They hung him on a cross. He, was, he was, lived, lived the most perfect life of any human being ever. Died the most atrocious death of any person in history. And yet, what did he say? I'm forgiven, Father, for they know not what they do. They don't know why they're doing it. It's not about flesh and blood. It's about principalities and powers and rulers of darkness this world, Right? Spiritual wickedness in high places. We don't battle one another. We walk in unity and forgiveness. 
Hallelujah. And that's what's going to grow the kingdom of, of God. Amen? Last point, and we kind of talked about it already, in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, we've got to bless them. Amen? Luke 6, 28, it, it says, Bless them that curse you. Wow. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Bless those that curse you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And you know this, if, if you can't pray for somebody else, you know you haven't forgiven them from your heart. I've had people in my life where, man, it's been challenging. I remember back, you know, I never miss sharing a prison story. 2001, get arrested for drug trafficking. Guy named Nick set me up. He lived in Florida. He got caught with 10,000 ecstasy pills red-handed. And so he went to work for the government. And he set me up. I, I sent a bunch of uh, steroids down there and, and in exchange for some, some ecstasy. And thank goodness I didn't take possession of it. Otherwise, I, I still may be down there. But uh, I hated this guy. I thought he was the reason, you know, that, that my life got flipped upside down. You know, Melissa and I had just gotten engaged and, and uh, it was BC, of course. But I'd then given my life to the Lord. And even as a Christian, I'd sit down there and I'd, I'd sit and stew on it. What I'm going to do to this guy? Spin it over and over in my mind. And I remember a guy coming in and he said, you know, a similar message, you've got to forgive. And he gave this framework. He said, and I've shared this before. He said, you know, imagine that person, just, just put him in your hand and say, you know, God bless Nick. And I was like, I am not doing that. I remember thinking that. I was like, yeah, no way. Because, of course, just like this morning, hopefully, if you have unforgiveness, God is bringing, the Holy Spirit is bringing people to your mind here this morning. That's the, that's the goal of this, is to, to create a, a clean heart in all of us. And see, I had a barrier between God and I, but God is merciful. He knew, knew where I was at. He knew the growth process. He knows where you're at. But again, he's commanding us. He's saying, you've got to forgive. Amen? And I remember I was out walking around the track, and, and I didn't even know about God much, the Holy Spirit, but it was just working on me. And finally, I kind of did one of those prayers like, you know, God forgive him. But you know what? God worked with that. And what does Pastor always say? How do we forgive? We forgive by faith. And it's weird because God so erased my, my memory of him, my middle son is named Nick. And you know, as parents, you don't name your kids somebody that, that you know, you hate, you know, uh, what's the name? Amiloquai. I'm not naming my kid Amiloquai because that guy, you know, I want to pick a name that's not known in here, but <laughs> Mephibosheth. I'm not naming my kid Mephibosheth for sure, right? But that's the healing power of God. He can wipe your, your mind clean of, of those that have offended you. And you want to know something really crazy? I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for that guy Nick setting me up. How crazy is that? Your offender can be a, a stepping stone to getting you to where God needs you to be. God did not cause all that. He didn't cause me to sell drugs and, and do all of those things. But as a result of all of that, God took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it around and used it for good. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, as we're wrapping up here this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you, and I, I'm just believing that the Holy Spirit has worked on your heart here this morning if you have any unforgiveness. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just you're at where you're at, and, and you're here. This is a hospital. We're here, to, we're here to get better. Amen? We're here to heal. That's the number one thing. But before that, if, 
If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I, I alluded to the story, God lo- so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I just want you to know if you're a new person here or you've never heard the gospel before, God loves you. He's not mad at you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He loves you. He's got a great plan for you. But you've got to accept his forgiveness. You see, the Bible says that we were born into sin. Nothing you did or didn't do, you were just born into it. The Bible says that the wages of that sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. So how do you, how do you receive that eternal life? It's, it's receiving that free gift of salvation. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. Or excuse me, that, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I was saved from that lifestyle. It took time to renew my mind, but man, I can't explain it because you, like Pastor always says, you cannot explain or understand the supernatural. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ, he changed me in an instant. Best day of my whole entire life, the day I got saved. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning service at 9.30, as well as our midweek service on Wednesday nights at 7. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.